Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the stranger side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends, and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome back. That was a really long episode and we've got to cut it in two here. So this next story from Bethan would have been in the first episode, but it was simply too long. So Uh, I rambled on about my wolves. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The wolves did it. The wolves did it. Yes. And this isn't going to be any shorter. (laughs) I'll try and shorten it because, you know, no one wants to hear me waffling on for hours on end. Luckily, my one my last one is quite short, so it will work out in the end. Go, go ahead. <laughs> Nature will find a way. <laughs> well, go ahead, Bethan. Let me get let me get my bits up. Get your bits up. Get my bits up. Get your bits up. Get uh, your uh, bits, bits up. up. <laughs> my next and last story you'll be pleased to hear is about Hainault. Is that how you say it? I've been what, saying Hainault? it that into Yeah, I've been saying it Hainault, but I'm sure the people of Hainault will quickly correct us. Yeah, I th- yeah. If we're saying it wrong, you know, please feel free to let us know. Do you know? I I used to get so annoyed at these American podcasters who'd pronounce things like Peter. How do they say it? Bar- like Borough? Like, but they don't say it Borough. They say it Borough. Edin- Edinburgh is good. Edinburgh. When we do it, we're just as bad. We're just as bad. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I I'm cutting them some slack now. So this is Hainault, hopefully, and uh, the Reverend Trevor Deering. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into here. I thought there was going to be an exorcism, nice little story, and that would be that. No, we're talking thousands of exorcisms, Elsa. Literally thousands. I so he, he beat the Jesuit priests then? Did. He seems like a genuinely nice chap. So I went through the um, newspaper archive because, you know, I like doing that. Love it. Love looking for stuff in there. It's a good time. And guess which guess which decade this was in? 1970. Yep. We're in the 70s, as most things are with Exorcist. When did The Exorcist come out? It was around then because when I was looking in the newspaper archive, it kept on coming up with, they're now showing The Exorcist at so-and-so in Southend. And so it was getting very confusing to find what stories were about exorcisms and what All stories were exorcism. about the movie The Exorcist. I do love that movie. It is a brilliant movie. And some of them were were not quite as dramatic as The Exorcist, but you know, they certainly had some interesting things happen. Let me just get my first little bit up here. Sorry, I keep telling you I'm getting my bits up. This is the main exorcism that took place at St. Paul's, which is the Reverend Trevor's, I was going to say haunt, but that's not quite the right word, uh, where he he conducts his ministry. There was one particular one that caught the attention of the press. I'll read out the news report as it is. So TV cameras, press photographers were witness to a 600 strong congregation who watched the Reverend Trevor Deering cast out evil spirits from a 21-year-old prostitute. 
during an exorcism, which <laughs> Mr. Deering carried out wearing a trendy leather jacket, cheeky trousers, and off-white shoes. I like cheeky. <laughs> cheeky trousers. I don't know what cheeky trousers are. Oh my god, was he wearing the what's it, the cowboy? trousers i don't think so i don't butler's chaps do you know what i think it is (laughs) i think it might have been checked trousers but because it's such a bad copy of the newspaper report there um this is actually i just got this from the um you know on the left hand side it just picks out and just sort of like i just imagining someone doing an exorcism in 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 assless chaps assless chaps (laughs) i'm just dying whatever works elsa whatever works i need some sleep (laughs) well i was i was about to say like the whole Every single one of these talks about how trendy he is. It reminds me a bit of Peter Laws because every time you say something about him, it's the trendy vicar. I tried not to read too much about Hainault, but it did come up obviously quite a lot when yeah. you're searching exorcisms, Essex. And um, Essex exorcisms is really hard to say. He's, I don't know if you're going to go into this later, but he's Anglican, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes. And he practices charismatic exorcisms. Yes. Which. which- different to liturgical they don't follow a formula no it's very they're very off the cuff sort of the spirit moves through them and they're very focused on speaking in tongues and receiving the word from god rather than reading from a book as it were a lot of these newspaper reports some of them are it's newspapers isn't it some of them are quite brutal with how they're talking about how it's more show business and things like that and it's very different than the church services i grew up with being a disenchanted Catholic, you know, it was very solemn. There was nothing, you know, it was all very, it followed a set order. So I've never been to anything like this. I actually would quite like to go just to see what it's like. Uh, it does sound, I mean, I'm a raving atheist, but it does sound interesting. It does sound interesting. And they sound, when I looked on their website, I read about him. He's, you know, it all seems like they're trying their best to be good people, which is, I think, what any all anyone can do. I've picked out a couple of my favourite exorcisms because there is quite a few. I've been reading this book. It's called Exit the Devil and it's by Trevor Deering and it's been um, sort of assembled by Dan Wooding, who was a um, journalist. And it's really, really interesting. I mean, he goes into, like, there's different possessions he talks about. There was one girl that was tortured by Satan. There's one that had three demons. There's one that had loads of demons. There was, let's have a look. The first one, I mean, the one they're talking about in that newspaper report was with a girl called Denise. And Denise, Denise. I'll read, I'll read the, this is actually the opening bit of his book. And the first chapter is called The Exorcist Vicar, which I think was his nickname. A wave of expectancy swept over me as, if on cue, Denise, a 21-year-old prostitute, stood up and screamed, Jesus is dead, I saw him die. I was about to start the weekly Tuesday evening power praise and healing service at my Essex church when dark-haired Denise stood up in front of the 500-plus congregation. I thought you were about no. to say 500 pos- prostitutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't know what I'm saying, Elsa. This No, no, I won't go out of her. And an earthly voice inside her shouted. The 10-minute drama was witnessed not only by the congregation, but by television cameras and an army of pressmen. News media are out in force following the trial of 31-year-old Michael Taylor, who savaged his wife to death after an all-night exorcism at a village church vestry in Yorkshire. Exorcism has suddenly become the topic on the lips of the British nation. And I think, you know, I think probably that is to do with the exorcist. And we're still in the satanic panic sort of era, aren't we? I mean, it, uh, the satanic panic only really ramps up towards the 80s as well. Yeah, it's still on the build-up to it. So about 500 people rolled up to watch him give the devil the boot. 
I've got so many notes here and they overlap. Bear with me, Elsa. Sorry. Just one note, which I found really interesting whilst researching, whilst you figure yeah. out where you are. <laughs> the Colchester Gazette was one of the first newspapers to actually write about satanic child abuse. Really? Um, and which really started the satanic panic. It started here? Well, it, the, the Gazette wrote about something that was like one of the sort of ignition points for it. Fascinating. But I couldn't find the actual article because the Gazette doesn't have its 1970s no. newspapers on its archive, but it's mentioned in several places in different people's academic works about right. the satanic panic. Oh, that is interesting. Right. So he's he writes here, half an hour earlier... In his attractively furnished vicarage next to the Red Brick Church, the 42-year-old ex-accountant who claims to have exercised a thousand demons in the past four years was preparing for a routine night. God, if that was a routine night, and it was hardly that. Within a few minutes of his walking in front of the hymn-singing congregation, that's when Denise piped up. After the exorcism, Denise was interviewed by a reporter the next day. She was relaxed and happy, holding a Bible and speaking about a new life that had now opened for her. So she had been delivered from the demon during the exorcism. And he asked everybody to pray for her and to pray for her deliverance. And this was her the next day. And she said her troubles actually began after she dabbled with, 10 points if you guess it. Uh, Ouija board. Yes. Well done. Sorry, not well done. Always starts with a Ouija board. Always starts with a Ouija board. Just like in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts. Sorry, we're big Ghost in the Burbs fans. So, so happy she's back. I know. This, this new, again, newspaper reports are so insensitive. This is what is written, okay? He wrote that the chubby 21-year-old believed she had become possessed by demons after trying to get spirit messages from a Ouija board, an occult game which had a board covered in numbers and letters. The players put their fingers on a wine glass or movable pointer and it spells out words in response to questions, supposedly from the dead. At school, we used to play Ouija all the time for a giggle, she told the reporter. We thought it was a joke until one day all the windows in the house blew open and we were scared stiff. Denise said relations with her parents had become strained. At the age of 17, she ran away from her home in Preston, Lancashire and went to London. She often slept rough and she had no job but found there was easy money in prostitution. At night, she hung around in bars, drinking heavily. And the more I drank, the more money I needed to earn on the game. It was a horrible life. Twice, Denise tried to complete suicide by taking overdoses of tablets and all psychiatric attempts had failed. I knew I was possessed by the devil because I used to hear voices in my head. They were sexual thoughts. Denise had first come to Trevor Deering seven months previously. He had prayed for her, but she had drifted back to a bad life. After the exorcism, she said, thank God it's all over. I'm cleared of the devil. And she doesn't remember much of what happened to her, but she remembers the feeling of it leaving her. Oh, this poor girl. I know. It sounds awful. Bless her heart. And the, the final exorcism was actually conducted in a small private ceremony of quiet prayer. And there was no screaming this time. And she says she feels so much better after what seemed to be a traumatic experience. So that's where the, I mean, it was this incident that really caught the attention of the press. And the book goes through, I mean, it's not just telling you about the exorcisms, but also his healing and sort of the journey he went on himself from learning about how starting off from quite a, well, like I described how I started with my church. It was very sort of formal, very set. And then he sort of wanted to branch out and discover new things. And that's where he found this sort of, as you call it, charismatic mass called to him. So uh, there's a couple of, there's two more exorcisms I'd like to talk about. One, because it's a good story. And the other, because it links back to Bill Ramsey. There was one where he actually had to exorcise somebody who had been cursed with voodoo. 
And you got a request for some voodoo. We did we? get a request for some. Is it Colin? Um, so Colin, I hope you enjoy this. This is the I didn't think we'd find a voodoo story, but here we go. No, it's not prevalent to Essex, really. Well, you say that, Elsa. No, it's not. Oh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so this was it was very slim pickings, but I found one for you. Marina, a heavily built West Indian woman, reeled with terror as she discovered a cockerel's head with horrible protuberant eyes staring up at her from the wooden dining table of her London home. For at that moment, she knew that a voodoo curse had been put on her and her house, and the terror of that chilling curse made her shake uncontrollably with fear. Her eyes rolled and her face twitched, for she feared she would soon be dead. She had to escape the spell, but how? For two years, she was tormented in horrible, indescribable ways, quite unable to cope with her job and teacher of handicapped children. Then the voodoo terrors began to grip her even tighter. There was no escape from the chilling curse and the frightening hallucinations became worse. Fear often drove her to violence and once, under the power of the curse, she nearly throttled two Pentecostal pastors who were trying to exercise her. They were only safe when one of them struggled free from her grip and grabbed a phone and dialed 999 for police help. The boys in blue took the struggling Marina off to a mental hospital and there the powerful woman was often uncontrollable. I first met Marina at St. Paul's when she came along for help. I immediately sensed a voodoo curse and knew that there would have to be a fantastic scrap before she would be free. Voodoo is a system of magic um, that once the curse is put on someone, that can mean the end of their sanity and even their life. As this spell nearly spelled the end of my life, for as I began to pray for this lady, her hands went for my throat. Stewards came dashing forward and did what they could to restrain her, but it was the power of Jesus that held those hideous demonic forces at bay as I began to cast out the spirit. For ten horrifying minutes, the battle raged, and eventually, as the sweat poured down her face, the evil spirit left her and she was free. She couldn't believe the change that came over her. She began to grin, beaming a real love towards me and the congregation. She's now a committed Christian, is back teaching children and in her right mind, and is now a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. And he says, whenever he thinks about it, his hair stands on end. It's one of the ones that still like haunt him. We should just mention quickly because there's voodoo and hoodoo. There is, yes. Voodoo is, I think it's a Haitian practice, isn't it, mostly? Yes, it's a practice, whereas voodoo is the religion. Yes. And I must admit, I'm getting my information here from the film The Skeleton Key. (laughs) But... I think a lot of people will misunderstand voodoo in some cases. I don't yeah. think it is from what I, from the thousands of documentaries I've, I've watched yeah. on on things like this. I think it would probably be wise to say that it isn't the sort of evil practice that people no. imagine it to be. Uh, but there is, I, I think, the dark side of of it all is is the hoodoo practice. From what and it's I remember, been Hollywoodized a lot. Yeah, it has been Hollywoodized. The next. The, the one that uh, reminded me of Bill Ramsey is um, is literally the next one he goes on to. Uh, so there was a time when I began preaching, a young man in his teens suddenly let out a howl like a werewolf and started running backwards and forwards at the back of the church. He had his teeth bared, and I'm sure he would have bitten me if he could. A shiver went through the congregation as stewards pounced and tried to grab him. I discovered later that he'd been having horrific nightmares and going into trances and having violent outbursts, which... It does suss out. Can you see how why I thought of um, Bill? Yeah, I mean, she she sounded immediately like Bill Ramsey. Mm. He had once drawn a knife on a friend, and he'd also said he felt something urging him to commit suicide. In the name of Jesus, I took complete control of the situation and addressed the spirits in the werewolf who cried out from within. I told them their reign of terror had ended and bound them. 
Then I cast them forth in the name of Jesus. He crashed to the floor and then just as suddenly sprang to his feet and shouted, praise the Lord. Exorcism is without a doubt the most controversial part of my ministry, but it's strange to relate that I once strongly opposed it. Like many today, I felt it was a thing of the dark ages, like witch hunt, witch burning and slave markets. It didn't happen anymore. And it was putting the clock back to the Middle Ages and was misleading vulnerable and dependent people. And he goes on to talk about how he studied it and looked into it and found that he could help people with it. So, I mean, that that one with the werewolf, that was something I was wondering with Bill, if you believed enough that it could help you. But he he went to Connecticut really sceptical. So, it, it again, nothing really sort of makes sense with that one. I mean, there wasn't the belief that this is going to help me. This was like, oh, well, I'll give anything a try, but I doubt it's going to work. So, yeah, another sort of like dead end with that one. I was just wondering, though, what kind of... I mean, I know it was a Catholic exorcism Bill Ramsey went under. Yes. But I'm imagining, because it's America, it would have been on the more charismatic side, possibly. Just the personalities involved. Yeah. And yeah. I, I suppose in that kind of environment, you could get caught up in the feeling. So maybe he went in not believing it, but it's... Maybe he was, he believed it with the sort of force of the people who around him who believed it. Yeah. I mean, there was another, when I was looking at exorcisms in general, I came across, it's it's not to do with Essex, but I just found it interesting. This is about from a a Catholic church and from Father Vince, who said that exorcisms are never done hastily. There is no such thing as an emergency exorcism. It once took him a whole year to exorcise a particularly indignant demon named Leviathan from a woman, even after the other six demons they have been possessing her had all buggered off. We should never give demons more credibility than they deserve. A demon cannot just jump out of one person into another. That would be great for a movie, but it's just not reality. I want to find. I'm going to find more of that one because I found that was quite interesting. Uh, the Catholic position on it. But yes, we, that we do like. have some extra notes from Peter Laws regarding that as well. We'll read out at the end. Yes, but yeah, that's my second story. I found out on Facebook that. Um, Trevor has had a spinal injury and he's in pain a lot at the moment. Oh, dear. So just sending you, if for whatever reason you're listening, we hope you get better soon. Yes, feel better, Trevor. So my last little story also brings me back to 1970 and brings exorcisms back under the pagan influence, leading us full circle. Mm-hmm. An interview was conducted with an anonymous 17-year-old girl in Billericay. The girl told the Standard newspaper how she intended to conduct her own exorcism on Halloween at exactly midnight. Her and her mother had been greatly disturbed by something lurking in their garden. A childlike ghost with such a presence, it seemed like exorcism was the last option left to get rid of it. Wow. The ghostly entity seemed to come from a tree in the middle of their garden and was combined with the sound of a child's eerie voice singing the hymn, All things bright and beautiful. (laughs) That's horrific. Yes. (laughs) The family dog, a pet poodle, was also said to be very wary of the entity and refused to go into the garden at night. In fact, it's connected to a tree. It sounds more, rather than like demonic or ghostly, sort of like, nature natural sort of like that sort of dryads that sort of yeah well we're going back into the paganistic yeah. belief aren't we so the girl had gotten her advice on conducting the exorcism from a practicing witch okay. who told her not to disclose all the steps she needed to take to anyone else but she did reveal that among the rituals she was intending to carry out she was going to build a, a pentangle over the haunted spot in her back garden she told the newspaper I chose Halloween because it's better then, but it could have been done on any Sunday night. I have to wait until midnight and then it will be Sunday. The ritual of exorcism is said to be very dangerous and I have been warned several times about it. Mm. So this was done anonymously. 
She didn't want to be identified. They do identify her, though, as a fashion model. Right. But this is, again, another young teenage girl being involved in the practice of exorcism in Essex. In Essex, yeah. And I I think we've just scratched the surface here. I felt like with all my stories that they involved young women, they were being sort of picked up by national interest. Mm. It just made me feel like all of these, like two of them even affected the monarchy. And at a time where women weren't particularly listened to. I mean, just over the border, I mean, technically, I suppose... Um, Enfield was at one point within the border so could speak about it the Enfield and the Battersea poltergeist who were very mm. similar again it was young women who were hounded by the press whatever you think about you know whether it was real whether they faked it or not it really did grip the nation and even I think it was I'm sure it was the Battersea one Danny Robbins amazing podcast that it was discussed in parliament yes it was yeah it just goes to show you the power that a teenage girl can have over the national interest. I mean, look at Greta Thunberg. (laughs) They're not as powerless as some people say. But there was no follow-up story in the standard about the haunted tree or about the exorcism. We don't know if it went well or not. There was suggestions that the tree was eventually cut down. Oh, See, every, every Irish like gene in my body just went, oh, <laughs> no, you don't cut down a tree, a fairy tree. But there we go. I wonder Ex- what the wood exorcisms. was So we started in 1970 with a Catholic exorcism on a hostel for young women with babies out of wedlock. Went through to medieval times where we've got two very different exorcisms. Well, no, two very different cases of possession. Mm. And then we're back into the 70s with another pagan exorcism. Yep, and a Anglican. Yeah, it's it's obviously something that, that keeps the interest of the public. Yeah, Essex seems to be a hotspot. We're a hotspot for everything. We are, <laughs> and I do love that. Have you been listening to any good podcasts lately? Only the new episode of Ghosts and the Burbs, which we obviously both love. We do. We do love Liz Sour. I haven't listened to them yet. I sort of like, you know, do you sometimes keep things as a treat for yourself? Yes. I really enjoyed, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the Nigel and Juliet who sent us the night vision camera. Thank you again. Um, They've just done a new video episode of the Witch of East Somerton. And it's an investigation they did. You'll find it. They're called Out There Paranormal. You search for them on Vimeo or YouTube or Twitter. You'll find them. It's a really interesting investigation. I don't want to spoil it, but they picked up far more than they thought they would. We should give a shout out to Reverend Peter Laws as well and his podcasts, Whiteful, yes. and the other one is called Creepy Cove. Creepy Cove Community Church. And he's starting to do another one as well, a history one. He's everywhere. <laughs> he does get everywhere. But he did actually give us a few notes because we asked him about, we asked him a couple of questions about exorcisms and about how likely it is for someone to receive an exorcism without going through permissions. He said... Most cases I'm aware of are about exercising a person, though the term often used is deliverance. In fact, there's a Christian book with that title, which is used as a guide for many pastors in the area. He says, I'm personally super cautious about labelling people with a demon. Place-wise, I have had experiences where places seem scary or oppressive, and I've prayed for safety. Exorcism of people should go through proper channels. The Catholics are good at this in the sense that they have exorcists designated for an area. He has one down his road. 
and the Anglican ministers have deliverance ministers. The Baptists, which he says he's part of, don't have anything official, but tend to err on the side of caution and contact a GP first. Very wise. His point was really that... Oh, he also says that certain Pentecostal churches or charismatic ones will do exorcisms more often. Sometimes they can happen spontaneously in worship meetings. That sounds a lot like Trevor Deering's. Yes. Yeah. But his point was really is that it shouldn't be taken lightly. It's mm. It could affect somebody's uh, well-being, mental health. People have died during exorcisms. Yeah. So, Annalise, um, Annalise Rose. It's em- the exorcism of Emily Rose is based yes. on it. That was very sad. This psychologist, psychiatrist who I, t- who I spoke to about mine, in the end, he said he couldn't rule out a demonic possession. It's something we might not understand yet. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it's interesting coming from a psychologist. Yeah, You've got to keep an open mind. So we should talk about Patreon and coffee. Yes. We now have Patreon and coffee. They're up, they're running their live on Thank Patreon. Thank you to everyone who's oh, already thank- given. Thank you to everyone who's already given. We should read, we'll read out the names in a second. So on Patreon right now, it's two pounds to subscribe. Uh, we'll read out the names of the new subscribers every month. And on coffee, you can do a one-off donation. Yes. And it all helps us so much because there's lots of little hidden costs with doing a podcast, which we love doing, but it, it really does help. And it, it allows us to keep going. Um, allows us to produce more content, buy more books, spend more time researching. So it, it does really help us in the end. It helps keep keeps the lights on. Yes, so and the and the heating. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good picture. I wish I'd taken a picture of that. Like, oh, my drippy nose. Yeah, <laughs> it was the face you pulled. <laughs> so our patrons so far this month are uh, Samuel eighty four, Diana. Purple Triangle and Ali's Garden, who's a friend of mine. So thank you everyone who's done that. And we also had a donation on coffee from uh, our lovely friend James over at Basildon History. Yes, thank you, James. You're a star. And you've sent us an amazing book. Yes, thank you so much. It was a book we were after. So thank you. <laughs> and that is it for this episode. Yeah. It has been a, a mighty long episode, uh, which you're going to have in two parts. I'm sorry about it. <laughs> yeah, I think, as I said, I think we've only just scratched the surface of this. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, I found stories in Wesley Downs' memoir that I, I, almost, I almost included it in this episode, but I wanted to keep my theme of young women in this sort of political yeah, yeah. sphere. We'll come back to this again. Yeah. Oh, also a quick shout out. Thank whoever listens to us in Finland and Brazil. <laughs> Hello, because we keep, we keep getting on the charts there and it's it's a real surprise so thank you for listening to us and for we are going to start looking at as like one-off like bonus episodes we're going to look at Essex in other countries because Essex is a name that pops up a lot well we did we did invade and and take over a lot of the world at one point not just Essex but the UK which we obviously terrible things happened and we left that name all over the place so we'll try and look at it from the standpoint of what came before and what came after as well yeah We'll try and be very respectful. Yes. We have got somebody in Canada who's sort of like an honorary lease. Hi, Elise. Honorary eerie girl who's looking up stuff for us. Oh, I completely forgot. We also got a listener story sent to us by Ali of Ali's Garden, one of our patrons uh, and and a friend of mine. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it out right now. So... Ali uh, started off by saying that uh, she was just listening to It's All Fright on the Night, which was one of our previous episodes, um, and that she knew of a ghost at the Theatre Royal Haymarket in London. Their ghost light 
is in their main dressing room, which is the one that's always given to the main star of the show, because uh, because apparently this is where most of the occurrences have happened. So they don't bother keeping it on the stage, and it's up to the person in the dressing room to decide whether or not they wish to use the light or take the risk. Oh, I'd use it just in case. Yeah, I mean, you're. If, I'd, I'd assume most actors were. I think most uh, of them are quite superstitious. Yeah. Like we said in the episode, it's a profession entirely based on chance. Yeah, and it has I to mean, go right the first time. Chance and talent, obviously, but oh, yeah. a lot of it is up to chance. Um, and then she goes on to say that uh, she is also convinced that the TK Maxx building in Colchester is haunted. I'm going to read this in the first person now. There was never anything peculiar that would happen during open hours. It would only ever happen on night shifts or twilight shifts. Colleagues would say that they heard footsteps and keys jangling going up what was nicknamed the Forbidden Staircase. This staircase was banned for all staff to use as there was no CCTV there. And years ago, people would use that staircase to steal stock. On occasions, these noises were heard curiosity got the better of people and they would always go to see if anybody was there but there never was anyone people all yeah i mean we heard something a bit like that with the mercury didn't we Mm. people have also reported hearing a man's voice but never finding where the voice came from one time i was on a twilight shift with two other members of staff and i was working downstairs whilst the others worked upstairs I could hear them laughing and moving stock around. And for whatever reason, I went upstairs to chat with them. Whilst upstairs, we heard a loud crash coming from the area that I had just been working in downstairs. I assumed that some of the stock shelves had fallen, so I ran back down to see what was going on. To my surprise, everything was exactly as it was before. It's likely the noise came from outside or something instead, but I'm convinced that because of all the stories... There must be some haunted activity going on. And she goes on to say that she doesn't think that anybody she used to work with then still works with the company, but it's worth giving a shout out to see if they want to come forwards and tell any ghost stories to us. Um, yes, please. Because apparently everyone was afraid of this ghost. Though she does go on to mention that one of their security guards stayed later one evening into a twilight shift without anyone realising. He thought it was absolutely hilarious to talk in a spooky voice over the headsets absolutely terrifying the star and one girl was really screaming so he had to give up the act pretty quickly did he just do it the once and i think so i think it was probably it sounds like because there were ghost stories he then decided to up up the ante a bit <laughs> you would be tempted to wouldn't you a little bit i'm sure we did yeah. that at first sight when we had radios and we knew someone was on their own in the auditorium well we used to do all kinds of stuff on those radios we did <laughs> I tell you what, though, that really reminds me. This is in Essex, but can I share a little? Yeah, of course. This is Bridgend. It's um, yeah, it was when I worked at Bon Marsh, and Bon Marsh used to be next door to Topshop. And on that site, before they started, before they um developed the the street and took down a load of buildings, there was a chapel there. And if you went out the back, the, the back of both shops, there would be tombstones just leaning up against the walls because they dug up the graveyard and decided to just leave the tombstones there, just like nicely leaning against the wall in a nice Was this in like a busy area, like a a centre of town place? Yes, 
Yeah, like the, literally the town centre in Bridgend, like the main Bloody street. Hell. Woolworth Street, as we called it, because everyone called the centre street that had a Woolworth on it in any town, Woolworth Street. <laughs> and you never know, we may call it that again because it might be coming back. <gasps> yeah. Woolworths are coming back. I've heard it on the grapevine. Oh, my God. I know. Exciting. I know. I've even forgotten what I'm talking about. The pick and mix. Anyway, yes, Bon Marche. A couple of people used to say that they had they heard something upstairs in the stockroom. Stockrooms are quite creepy, aren't they? It's like like the listener story we've got coming up with the costume shop. There's something about rows and rows of basically figures for what we you know, shapes on coat hangers and things. Yeah. I suppose it's like that liminal uh space as well. Like it's not somewhere it's an in-between. Yeah. Like, like those a staircase. Things- those things are waiting to go out and be sold to people. They don't really have any purpose until they're sold. Yeah. It's an so, odd space. Yeah. And there was one Sunday where me and our lovely girl called Hannah, we were on our own. And I think it was it was a really quiet Sunday. I think it might have been New Year's Day or Christmas Eve. Either way, it was where nobody was in town because everyone was at home. Why the shop was open is another question I don't know. But we served like one person. And I brought in my um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I brought in my dictaphone and decided to leave it upstairs in the stockroom. And we carried on with the day. It was really quiet. Um, top shop was shut. They shut really early, and it, there was li- literally nobody in town. It was like tumbleweed going past. And about an hour and a half later, I said, "Shall I go and get it? We can have a listen to it." Uh, so I did, and I went and got it, and we brought it down. And you could hear footsteps going around. There was somebody whistling. Like, and then we just heard like this muttering and I told the assistant manager and she said oh that's really weird uh, and she was telling me that she her family were all quite sensitive and she told me this, hor- this really like oh gut-wrenchingly horrible story about how her son she thinks he's getting the gift because he saw a dark figure go into his bed and then when she went to look, something pushed her away and there was a handprint on her trousers. Oh, my God. So, yeah, she she knows what she's on about. And we went upstairs and I said, oh, if, <laughs> we, we, we were locking up. This was a different day. And I, I played it for her and she that's really interesting. And she said she'd heard similar things. And then as we were leaving and locking up, I said, if anyone's here, can you give us a sign? And there was nothing. And then I made the stupid mistake of saying like, oh, it's too frightened. It doesn't want to say hello to us. And as we were going downstairs, then there was this huge crash. Oh, no. And we broke, you know, have you ever, you know, with the hair on your arms and everything, like you just like get like fright. Yeah. So we just (laughs) ran out of the shop. Didn't didn't even go and look what it was. It was that scary. And then the top shop told us that they are always finding themselves locked in the office. Something locks them in. And they hear people they, like us, they heard all the shelves rattling. They'd hear the stockroom, weird noises and whistling. But it would have been the same building at one time. There you, you go. Know, I really wish I had stories like that. But I, I And I used to work in museums in Colchester. And I, I, I worked in Holly Trees, which we mentioned earlier in the episode in part one. Are you a little insulted? I am. I'm really <laughs> insulted. Nothing ever happened to me apart from that one time where my belt... Um, my belt loop with the radio got caught on the prison door handle and I screamed the house down. <laughs> it reminded me a bit of Schieffer from Weird Norfolk because she said twice she's been asked by the ghost to leave the seance. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember her saying that in an episode. <laughs> I mean, that 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 made, that was making you feel really oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah, TK Maxx. Which staircase is it? Is the one is it the one the public can use? I I assume it is. It is a bit weird. It doesn't have any CCTV on and it's still being used by the public as well. But I guess mm, don't know. Oh, yeah, please, if anyone works there or anywhere, any of the shops in Colchester, you know, the main... Or anywhere in Essex. Or anywhere in Essex, yeah, anywhere, literally. And to be honest, even if you're not, if you've got a story and it's not from Essex, we'd still like to hear. And it's goodbye from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. Bye. If you have more information about the stories you've heard on this episode or just want to send us a story of your own, it doesn't even have to be Essex. We'd just love to hear them. Please send them to eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. We also have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts, which you'll find under the name Eerie Essex. The Twitter account is eerie underscore Essex. And we now have coffee and Patreon if you'd like to support us. It would also be really helpful if you've enjoyed the episode, if you could leave a review, even if it's just a rating, it really helps us. Sorry, me again. Since we've recorded this episode, Colchester Museums have just posted on their social media a really cool thing that could possibly be happening this summer, which we at Erie Essex are very excited about. This summer, they have the opportunity to work with the famous Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Boss Castle to curate a new exhibition at Colchester Castle. The Museum of Witchcraft and Magic houses one of the world's largest collections of items relating to witchcraft, the occult, and magic. And some of these are hoping to be displayed in Colchester Castle over the summer. But in order to make this happen, they need our help. They're hoping to raise £15,000 before the 6th of June so that they can make this go ahead. You can donate at www.artfund.org forward slash wicked hyphen spirits and I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Best of luck, Colchester Castle.